Hey, Sarah here. Summer is fast approaching, and here's what I propose. A relaxed and simple summer that offers just enough structure to keep those long, sticky days from melting into chaos, and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. Also, fairy tales. Lots of fairy tales. (laughs) I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer, and I would love for you to join me. Save your free seat at the workshop by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. See you there. You're listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that inspires you to build your family culture around books. Don't get discouraged. It is a mutual journey. You're going, you're, you're doing this together. And if it doesn't work with the first book, do it with the second. It is, it is, this is a journey of exploration undertaken by two equal participants. I'm your host, Sarah McKenzie, and this is episode eight of the Read Aloud Revival. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We're glad to have you with us. On this podcast, I chat with authors, educators, and other thought leaders about the importance of reading aloud with our families. My goal for the show is to help you read to your kids more than you ever have before, and in doing so, help you build up your family culture around books. You can find all previous episodes, including show notes and links to books and resources we discussed during the show at readaloudrevival.com. Today, I'm chatting with Lawrence Goldstone, co-author of Deconstructing Penguins, Parents, Kids, and the Bond of Reading. I hope you've read the book, or if you haven't yet, I hope this episode inspires you to pick up a copy because it is very inspiring and enlightening. Uh, But before we get started, I want to let you know that today's episode is sponsored by Audible, a resource for audiobooks that I use regularly to listen to books myself or for books that we all listen to together. You can get a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial by going to audibletrial.com slash read aloud. Today's guest, Lawrence Goldstone, ran parent-child book groups with his wife, Nancy, for elementary school children at their local library. They chronicled what they learned from those sessions in their book, Deconstructing Penguins, Parents, Kids, and the Bond of Reading. The book's a real gem. It serves as a guide for anyone who would like to get better at talking with their kids about the books they read together, and in it, the authors recommend children's titles they found to be indispensable. And they also offer detailed discussion plans, including the real-life and frequently hilarious responses of both the kids and their parents in the group. So, Larry, I'm just thrilled to have you with me today. Thanks for joining me, and welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Sarah. It's nice to be here. Well, let's start by talking about what initially spurred you to create a parent-child book club. Can you tell us that story? Well, yes. Um, Our daughter was in second grade. And we were, uh, and this is not too strong a word, appalled at the way they were teaching reading. Not letters reading, but how they were doing books. And by second grade, the kids are, you know, they're, all, they're a little bit past spot, but they're not into anything really deep. And 
had always made the assumption, not simply with, from our daughter, but other people's children, that kids actually like to think. And that dumbing down concepts to kids is counterproductive because they get bored. Now, it's a challenge dealing with critical thinking with a six-year-old or a seven-year-old because you have to find a way to put things in terms they understand. So we started experimenting in our house with our daughter in reading, um, having her read and discussing books in this kind of odd way, and it, it developed into something where we thought we could do it with other people's children. So we went to the library, and we suggested it, and they were, um, I won't say skeptical, but it sounded to them, it sounded to everyone before we started these, as if we were doing something that was going to completely lose the kids. (laughs) And we, we did it, and we found absolutely the opposite was true. And one thing I should add, though, even though the book only goes up and deals with elementary school, when the kids who had started in my daughter's grade, in second grade, when we got to the end, when we got to fifth grade and they moved into middle school, they didn't want to stop. And we eventually got to the point where we were doing books. We got to, I think, up about to be eighth grade. I think we stopped right before they went into high school. And we had this core group and kids that had come in along the way. And if you want an incentive, there were, there were a, a remarkable string of 800 board SAT scores for the kids we had. One of them is a reporter now in Indonesia. The other one, one works for BuzzFeed. Oh, very cool. It, it was, we were doing books where, we, where the kids, we were doing things like All the King's Men in, in, in ninth grade and really, really heavy-duty stuff. And the discussions were such that we, it was harder it was harder to stop because of the parents. So it, what we discovered over, over the course of doing this is that it really does, if you respect children as not, um, in, they're not miniature adults, but they're actually thinking, thinking beings, and you find a way to reach them and engage them on that level, it's something that lasts with them for a very long time. Well, I love that, and i actually um, glad you mentioned that because... I was rereading your book yesterday and I had my little highlighting finger out because I was reading it on my Kindle and I kept <laughs> highlighting and highlighting until almost the whole book was orange. But one part that I definitely wanted to um, mention was toward the very end and you say, uh, let's see here, kids enjoy depth. The, the idea that a boy or girl will only be interested in discussing a book in a superficial way is another misguided assumption. As a result, there has been a trend away from critical analysis and toward personal identification, as in, I liked this book because the main character has a cat and I have a cat. And I just cracked up laughing. That's just so much. It's what what you you will run run into this all the time. It was, the question is, did you find a personal identification? And you, you can ask, you know, 99% of elementary school parents, and they will say, yes, my son, daughter had that assignment. Did you feel a personal identification with any of the characters? Well, you know, that's great to a point, but you don't get anything. Now, that is a perfectly valid question if you take it to depth. See, the thing, the the trick of this is, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about how we did it, and, but, but the, the real trick 
is not any specific formula, but a way to get to depth with your with the kids. Okay. It is a way to find to find a way to get below the surface. And we'll talk about I know that you're interested in the whole mystery as the only genre. So we will we will do that kind of thing too. But but for the people who are listening, this isn't something where you have to, you know, walk in a track. In fact, just the opposite. The the more flexible the parents are, the more they listen, the more they engage, the more they the more they're in a conversation where you have two active parties, the better it is. And the and the joy and the book and, and remember one of the great things about a book that you don't get from visual media and this is really important in a computer age is when you're engaging your mind's eye when you have to when you have to use words on a page and create in your own head what's going on that in itself is a higher level of thought than simply accepting a visual input from the computer screen. Mm-hmm. So all of these things work to not simply develop children's critical skills, but to make them enjoy doing it. This echoes what Adam Andrews said in the second episode. Um, one of the things he said was that what we should be asking a book is not how do I, what do I feel about it or what do I think about it, but what is the author saying to me? And so I think that's what I hear you saying by... Um, going deeper instead of just asking kind of that surface question of how do you relate to the character in the book? This isn't about you. This isn't, this isn't, this isn't an exercise in how do I relate to this? It is an exercise in how do I, how does the author, what is, what is going on? What made that writer? What is the message? What are they trying to say? How are they trying to manipulate me? How are they, what are they trying to get me to believe? You know, in the book, there are, we, I have a couple of examples, Nancy and I have a couple of examples of books where we thought the author cheated. And one of them is an immensely popular book where the author is probably going to want to hunt us down. But <laughs> there, every, when a writer sits down, they are trying to get you to believe, to see things a certain way. And whether or not you decide to agree or disagree with the author, you should be aware of what the author is trying to say. So to a great extent, I mean, to a great extent, critical thinking involves taking yourself out of it. Yeah. It involves figuring out what's going on on the other end. It's not an ego exercise. Right. Well, and and that's one of the big points that you make in your book, too, I think, is that kids want to go deep and they're really thrilled to do that. Maybe what it um, what it comes down to is kind of going into a conversation. Well, let me back up a little. When I talk to my kids about books, I feel like they are more responsive and we get further if they have um, the understanding that I'm not looking for a specific answer. So we're just kind right. of digging in together. Right. Like we're right. on the same team, you know. Yes. It's a process. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I used to. I, I used to be um, in, in another life. I, I was a bad actor for a while, <laughs> and every acting teacher will try to get you that it's the process, not you know, it's all in the doing. It isn't. If you look for the result, it's going to come off badly. And we've all seen enough bad acting, you know, to know that. And it's the same thing. It's. It is. It is the. It is a process where where you get the interchange. One of the things I. 
found when we did these groups, and it's in the book, is that when a point was made in the group, it, they, it would line up parents and child, children on each side of the issue. It wasn't as we would we would have might feared actually that it was going to be parents on one side and kids on the other. Oh. It would be some parents and some kids and some parents and some kids. The argument itself, the point itself, the point of view itself, and the other thing we found is that once the kids got used to it, and I'm talking about second, third, fourth grade kids, the level of response we were getting for them was remarkably sophisticated. And in many cases, more sophisticated than we were getting from the parents. Wow. <laughs> because the parents are, well, the parents are bringing their baggage. The parents are bringing, well, I read this, and, you know, I read this person. And what they, does he want me to say, probably? Right. And where the kids are just going, this is what I got out of the book. Yeah. You know, they don't have all of this extra. And what we found is the kids were doing, uh, were doing things like Animal Farm in fourth grade, which is my favorite book. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, well, because I, there is a... It's a book that exists on three levels, and the third level is perfect for fourth-grade kids. And they would get to that more quickly, more profoundly, and with less resistance than the parents. Why is, and so it was is that great. because you, the parents are trying to look smart or, like, give you the questions, yeah. the answers that they think are the right answers? Or No, no, no. I don't think, I don't think it's anything like they're trying to – yeah, I mean, you, get, you always get people who are trying to look smart. There's, <laughs> there's, there are people in every group who want to, you know, who want to be smarter than you. Right? But yeah. that's the way – you know, that's the way – that's you're going to run into in all forms of life. No, it's simply because the parents have often gone through life with, through college, through graduate school, through successful careers in business, and never really understood the essence of critical thinking. Hmm. Where the kids don't have any baggage. They don't have a lot of, you, you know, I, I was in a, uh, I was in college once, and I, I had this professor I loved, and I took him for a thousand courses. And I got up once, and I spouted, and I was quoting all of these people who agreed with me, and he looked at me and he said, you have the facts but you don't have the understanding. Hmm. And he was completely right. And a lot, of, a lot of people will... One of the brilliant things about going back to my man Albert, about Einstein, is that all he will take complexities like relativity and could devise a thought experiment that's so simple. Like, uh, there's, there's just quickly, there's a person, two aliens are dropped down to Earth. None of them have any frame of reference on the planet Earth. One of them is standing on a beach, and one of them is on a ship. And the ship is moving past the beach. Which one is moving? And, of course, it depends. If you don't know one is a beach and one is a ship, to the person on the ship, the person on the beach is moving. And yeah. the person on the beach, the person on the ship is moving. You go, ah, that's relativity. Now, you've got to be incredibly smart to come up with something that simple. Yeah. Parents have all of this factual stuff. And what they think, a lot of people are raised to think that the more facts you can throw at a problem, it, the, the better the, the argument. When kids just go right to the, they go right to it. They don't have any of that. So they go, well, I think that Benjamin the donkey and Animal Farm, blah, 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 blah. And you just go, right. Huh. Okay. So it's very, it, was, it was an amazingly cool thing. So let's talk about that a little bit, the, um, about how you, 
how you uh, carried this off. You're, I love the underlying idea of treating all books as mysteries. And I right. think that's probably the main principle of um, what you're getting at with the book. Am I right when I, when I say that? Uh, it, is one of, it is one of the two. Okay. The other, it, the, the, that's one, and I'll talk about that in a second. The main thing is we have a progression. What's the writer writing about? What's the story the writer used to, illustri- to, to make this point? What characters? The, the main thing is to understand that any work of fiction, there's, nothing's there by chance. Mm. Everything, all the characters, all the settings, and setting is another character. All, all the specifics of the book are structured in such a way as to get the author's point across what the author's writing about. And the better a writer is at structuring that mystery, at, at propelling you through the book, so you want to find out the resolution that you don't know the resolution, that is, you know, um, I don't know if you watch Game of Thrones, but everybody seems to. <laughs> but every, but the, the, uh, nobody knows what's going to happen. Now, that's an action movie, but it, but it is also a mystery. Because people are tuning in every week because the, the people who have created that series have been remarkably successful in not letting people know what's going to happen. So once you have a sense that everything is a mystery, that you're trying to, that you're working your way through to a resolution, then the one thing you're thinking in terms of is what's the author's skill in getting me there? You know, is the author two things? Is the author playing fair? Or is the author like withholding a piece of information or twisting a character or making something convenient? Where to the average reader, it just doesn't, they don't know exactly where necessarily, but it doesn't feel right. Or is it something that you just are absolutely propelled where you must keep reading to find out what's going on? And it, this is, has nothing to do with murder or crime or the, or the traditional elements of mystery. This has to do with how good are these writers at creating these characters where you want to know what's going to happen. So that, that's what we meant, that every, every good book is a mystery. Yeah, so then you approach every single book kind of a, as a detective with, with the kids. Like, exactly. Okay. Exactly. And by the way, Everybody loves playing detective. Right. <laughs> you know, you can say you're, 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 you know, you're an intelligence analyst, you're a detective, whatever you want to do, but playing book detective, and again, going back to what I said, the main thing is, if you're also playing detective to try to figure out the motive of the crime, which is what is the writer writing about, you're trying to cut through the character, the story, all the little stuff that writers put in to disguise it and get right to the core. And the core is, what does this writer, what is the message of this book? What is the writer trying to get me to believe? How, what, how am I, when I finish this book, if the writer had his or her way, how would I be thinking a little bit differently about something than I did before? And all the books we pick, even from Mr. Popper's Penguins, which is the first book we ever did, the writer, or writers in this case, have, a, have something they want the reader to come away with, a, a message. And the subtlety of that message is, varies depending on the skill of the writer. But the detective sifts through the clues, which are character, plot, setting, 
pacing and decides this is the solution. Yeah. I think one of the things I love about that is that if we, my thought is, you know, if we are able to kind of do this alongside our kids for a few books, then they learn how to do it, develop kind of the habit of doing it so that when they're doing their own independent reading, um, and for myself, actually, as I'm doing my reading, maybe getting into the habit of not just reading a book, but asking myself that question. What is the author right. trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to do it in a rigorous way. You do it just as just just in the course of it. You go, oh, wait a minute here. What's mm-hmm. going on? Or, oh, that doesn't make sense. Or, oh, I would not have expected that character to do this. Or, oh, that's a very that's very interesting. I didn't see it that way before. Or I didn't see it that way before. And I agree with, you know, that kind of thing. You do it as just, you don't do it, it's, it's not like it's not fun. It simply adds another element to what you're doing. And it actually, in our experience, for adults, children, it makes it more fun. And the people we have dealt with on this level have all become readers. And we, the kids now, my, my daughter is out of college. So we, we were talking about second grade it, this is a, we started these 17 years ago or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. And these kids are all off doing these amazing things. Very cool. Yeah. So, oh, oh, that is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I bet there's, you know, some element when you're in the thick of it of, you know, not knowing if what you're doing, pro- you know, makes a difference, I think, within parenting, you know. <laughs> and so that's awesome. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It is. Talk about, talk about everything's a mystery. Yeah, right. Right. Exactly. We'll get back to the show in just a minute. At the beginning of today's episode, I mentioned that what I propose for this summer is a relaxed and simple plan that offers just enough structure to keep your days from melting into chaos and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. And what summer wouldn't be much, much better with a whole bunch of fairy tales? Well, I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer And here's what we're going to talk about. First, how reading fairy tales can make your summer easier. Yes, easier. We want to take things off your plate this summer, not put more on, right? (laughs) Fairy tales can make your summer easier and more fun. I'm also going to share the fairy tales I recommend for every age and the tippy top thing you can do to make sure your kids make delightful memories this summer. It is way less work and way less pressure than you think. The free workshop is happening live online on May 7th, 2024, and you can save your free seat by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. And yes, there's a replay, so make sure you register even if you can't join us live on May 7th. Again, text the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. Okay, so give give us a little nitty gritty. What exactly? Uh, what what would a um, a book club session look like? Well, we would. What we have found is you don't want too many and you don't want too few. So uh, somewhere between a total of eight, not including the moderator, and eight is about the minimum. I mean, you know, you can do this with less. You can do it with just you and your kid. You but if you eight, want a real group, eight, eight four four parents, four parents, okay. four kids. Okay. And probably going to 16, eight parents and eight kids. 
any more than that, then what you don't want are a lot of people sitting and not talking. So because what you, the larger the group, the more the people who are naturally shy won't feel the need to participate and will be able to kind of blend in. And the more the people who can't, who just want to answer every question and show you how smart they are just on absolutely every moment will dominate and you have to say, no, no, you know, mm -hmm. let's call on John or Jane or Jim. Mm -hmm. And, and so it can't be too big, can't be too small. I'm talking about optimal. I would say if you're going to go to choice between too big and too small, too small might work. If you get two or three parents with kids who are enthusiastic, six, four, that works. The, the really big ones almost never work. Okay. Okay. People just maybe don't feel comfortable enough to really. Yeah. You know, and that, that's right. What, what you, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get to the point that it gets electric. Mm. where people want to raise their hands and you go one, two, three, four. And, and again, the moderator, it's, there's, it, this is not something, the moderator has immense responsibility. You have to engage everyone. You have to keep it, keep the conversation moving. You can't, every session there will be someone, generally a parent, who wants to send it off on some kind of personal tangent. And you have to, and, and given that the fact, given that people who do this on their own, almost everybody in the room, they're, they're kind of friends or acquaintances, the moderator has to go, yep, that's right, but that's not what we're, you know, we, let's get back to that. And of course you never do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. You just, and so, and, and picking and making sure nobody's dominating the conversation and knowing what you want to do. The most important thing in running one of these groups is to have a sense of the book yourself, is to, is to have read it. And you don't even have to be right, by the way. This isn't about being the smartest person okay. in the room. Okay. This is just about someone who's saying, what we're trying to do here is figure out what the author had in mind. Why this character? Who's the protagonist? Who is the antagonist? Who is the character moving? moving? Is, the, is the protagonist a sympathetic character like uh, Mr. Popper, or is the, is the protagonist an unsympathetic character like Napoleon in Animal Farm? It, so, you, so you have a sense, and that gives you a sense of what, where, the, where the author's coming from. A non-sympathetic protagonist is generally going to be probably a pretty dark book. But there are protagonists that are supposed to be sympathetic that turn out to be less so when you examine them, mm -hmm. which usually means that the author was loading the dice, <laughs> which is the giver, since you've read the book. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And, mm -hmm. and there are times where an unsympathetic protagonist, a seemingly un, actually develops levels that you say, oh, I don't feel as badly about that person as I thought I would. Meaning that you've come to understand that human behavior is not all that simple. And that sometimes we have to learn to see things from other people's points of view. You know, the big deal about all of this is you don't, it's, it, this isn't a sterile activity that just lets you get good grades. Yeah. You walk away from this with an understanding of how people who disagree with you think and feel 
with a respect for other people's points of view. Yeah. That yeah. even if you never change your own opinions, you will have an empathy where that will serve you well as you go through life, where, where what you're learning is not to make these radical, absolute decisions, but in fact, to say, that is a person I don't agree with, that is a point of view that I didn't agree with, but, you know, I kind of see where it came from. Yeah, right. I still don't agree, but okay, it's, it's an honorable point of view yeah. kind of thing. So what, what would the, the main function of this is it's not just teaching kids to be smart, which is nice, you know, or more effective thinkers, but also to be more open to the world, which is for us a very big deal. So one of the things you mentioned in the book is the need for a blueprint. So, and I like how you're, how you're saying that the, the leader doesn't need to be the expert. They just right. need to be the facilitator, kind of come alongside. Right, right, the, right. So re- and, and, to be, and to be firm about it. Yeah. To have a right. sense. In fact, the leader, as a moderator, I, you know, I learned as much as the kids do. And, and, do you, and when you do the books, when, as we used to, when you do the books from year to year, Every year, I'm better at doing the books because of what happened the previous year when some, some adult or kid, usually a kid, gave me some insight that I didn't have before. Hmm. Yeah. And that is the thing, and I'm stressing this, and I'm not kidding. I learned much more from the kids than I did from the adults. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I mean, just kids, kids are so cool. You just have to tap into it. Yeah. You have to learn how to speak to them in a way that they will speak to you back. And because the purity of their ideas is glorious, and the wisdom that they have is not colored by all sorts of things that we bring in to justify our own justify our own uh, actions. I mean, if you talk if you talk to anybody you know or even don't know or listen on TV, people who are doing really reprehensible things, and you walk away and you say that's hooey, but you talk to a kid. A kid's set of values does not have any of that. They are very pure. They are very honest. So what you get back from them is a lot, and a lot of times, well, this is how I should be thinking about this. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And and so so as a moderator, this is this this experience for parents is is it's it's perhaps better than it is for the kids. But about the blueprint, you you have to. That's what I was talking about before. When you go in. So you started, what's the, what's the writer writing about? What do I think the writer was doing here? Um, in White Lilacs, which is a book, I, a book we did, what's, what's the writer trying to get across? Well, there was the Texas, the Texas town. I'm not going to give you the details because I'm hoping everyone listening goes out and reads the book and buys Half Magic and all of that and does these. But there's a particular point of view. What are the characters? Who are the characters? Why are they in there? Why pick a character that behaves like that? Mm-hmm. Why not have the character do something else? Again, every writer of fiction, little, for little kids, for adults, romance fiction, crime fiction, spy fiction, every novel is not done to chance. Every novel is done with, with specific decisions made on where to set it, who populates that setting, what traits they have, how they behave throughout the book, what the conflicts are, how the conflicts are resolved, 
who wins, who loses, all of this is part of the plan. So as a moderator, the blueprint is you go in and you say, what's the overriding, what's the, what's the point here? What's the overriding message? Um, who, what's the story the author chose? What is the, the story the author chose to illustrate this? Who are the characters? What is the setting? Just to have all the elements in your head. And so when you start to talk, you examine the clues. This is, it's a crime scene. You know, if you're a moderator, it's a crime scene. You just walked onto the crime scene. So you take your pad, with the, you, you take your pad or your blackboard, you write down the characters, what are their traits, who's the protagonist, what's the conflict. You're walking in, you have seen the crime scene before anyone else. And then you're opening the door and you're letting everybody into the crime scene and they're examining the clues. You are guiding them. Which clues are significant, which ones are not? That's what I meant by, by a blueprint. Yeah. Once you know what the author is writing about, you get, a, you get a deeper sense of who the characters are. And that's something that's part of your experience. It's, it's, it's every bit as much of exp your experience as people you meet just casually day to day. And we all say, oh, um, Mr. Jones reminds me of uh, Ed Smith, who I knew. But we tend, we're not teaching kids to do that with the books they read. And they should be doing it with the books they read. Yeah. Oh, you know, um, I don't know, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain in The Killer Angels is a real person. Just, you know, he reminds me of Hazel in Watership Down, who's a male rabbit, even though the name is Hazel. And so you get all of that, and then you start, that's where the body, as adults, we need a body of information to critically think. As a kid, you know, it's not that big a deal. You, you're, it is very pure. But as adults, we are, dealt, we are dealing with more complex problems. And in order to solve that, you bring in your own experience. And the more, the more you recognize what your experience is, both in your reading and in your just personal interaction, the better you're going to be at it. Yeah. I think one of the things that um, appeals to me as a parent is that I want my children to ha wrestle with big ideas and be exposed to hard um, realities, I guess, in some degree, in some safe degree, and, and, and while they're at home, you know, under my wing. I guess right. doing it through books is seems to me like a brilliant way to bring the world to my child's doorstep um, and, you know, hook arms with them and then figure out why people act the way they do and what... what that is completely right. Yeah. And you're preparing them, and you're preparing them when they're not under your wing and they're not at home. You're right, right. That's what you're. That's what you're doing. You're giving. You know, what what do we do as parents more than give tools to our kids to be able to lead healthy, happy, productive lives? Well, this is one of them. Yeah, and encountering maybe the villain or um, you know the dark side of humanity in a book, and being able to close that book, and it seems to me like a. Um, I don't know, like a, a safer but more effective because, you know, these books... It's more fair, whether it's, whether it's safe. That's what I think yeah. is, um, you know, when I hear people say that reading is like an escape, I, I cringe a little bit because in my mind, I think of reading as preparing us to live or helping us live more fully or relate to people in our life, you know, reading yeah. is for life. So. Yeah, it depends what you read. If you're going to read garbage, and there's a ton of it, if you're going to read <laughs> right. to escape, you will escape. 
If you read things where you, you want to read somebody who says what you want to hear, or has a plot that you already know the ending, or has characters who are set up who are going to end up exactly where you want them to be, you know, which is which is ninety percent of what is sold. Well, you're not going to come away with anything. But if you're interested in learning and growing as a person, regardless of what your beliefs are, well, you're going to read things that are a little more challenging where you're going to have to contend with a point of view that you don't agree with, but that is presented in a way that's persuasive. I think going back to your very first question, what got us doing this? Mm-hmm. We saw, we believed in our souls that to develop really good habits, good thought habits, that the direction the school was, and we, we were, this was a very, we moved to this town because the schools were supposed to be so good. And, and the direction that they were sending these kids, we just believed in our soul was the wrong, the wrong direction. Okay. And that we had to do something that was within what we passionately believed. So we started, we started, we had no idea that they would take off the way they did. We had no idea that we'd be doing this in eighth grade, and I, we actually did go to ninth, and then the kids had all this high school work, but from, that the same kids would stay with us and that nobody would want us to stop and that we would get calls. We had no sense of that. What we started as a purely selfish thing because we wanted our kid to experience reading and ideas and books in a way that we believed would engage her and make her thirst for them and make her a wiser, happier person. So that's, it all comes, everything we're talking about comes right back to that. Very good. Well, um, the listeners to this podcast are pretty much parents who want to get motivated and inspired to read aloud more alongside their children. So if you could just tell them one thing that you want them to take away, and I know there's so much more than that to take away from this podcast. Um, but what is one thing you want them to know? Don't get discouraged. It is a mutual journey. You're going, you're, you're doing this together. And if it doesn't work with the first book, do it with the second. It is, it is, this is a journey of exploration undertaken by two equal participants. And journeys of exploration mean sometimes you get stuck in the woods. Sometimes you have to backtrack. Sometimes you have to do all the things that it takes in life to achieve a result you want. But this, whether it is a book group or whether it's personal or what, what, however you want to do it, reading this, this exercise is one of the most rewarding you can ever undertake. I agree. I agree completely. As a parent, I feel like it's probably the most rewarding thing, one of the most rewarding things I do with my kids. I'm always floored by uh, by the connections we make. And, and yeah. I think it does, you know, when you're kind of building your family culture around this idea of talking about books together, it that, well, I don't have kids that are grown yet, but you do. So, you know, I bet you and your daughter can look back on and remember favorite characters or conversations you had and oh, oh yeah I mean she's and she is an she is an absolute she is an absolute reader mm-hmm. she's you know she's a science person and she reads a lot of technical stuff but she still goes back and she's always looking you know what do you have that I haven't read well you can try this you can try this you can mm-hmm. try it every time she comes to visit we give her something and she walks over the pile of books 
and even if it even outside of just her reading life it surely the the conversations you had and the characters and the stories and the ideas that you encountered formed part of who she is so i think that's just well i i I will refer you to one thing there was a father's day blog on book reporter that i was asked to participate in so anybody who's interested can go to that because it's an incident it is an incident with uh, about reading with my daughter myself and, and my wife and it was it's just just go to book report and go to father's day blog and I'll it look was, it up and I'll this, link it up it was this it. it was this remarkable emily was 10 or 11 and it was just this remarkable experience and uh it epitomizes what we're talking about although i'm not plugging it or i'm just but it, it is the absolute epitome of what we're talking sure about. okay yeah i'll look it up and I'll, I'll make sure i put a link in the show notes as well as a link to your book i hope everybody listening gets their hands on this book it is I, I barred it from the library a couple of years ago and was sort of floored. Um, a few bloggers who I really highly respect um, were talking about it. And I'm going to link to them too, because there are a couple of bloggers who I think have done a really beautiful job of creating book clubs based on what they read in Deconstructing Penguins. And their blog posts are really, really enlightening. So Heidi and Hannah, I'm looking at you and I'm going to um, link to some of your posts about the book clubs that you started based on the Goldstones work. And of course, I'll link to the book. I hope everybody gets their hands on it. Larry, where can our listeners find you online? I have a website, um, www.lawrencegoldstone.com, where you found me. Um, I'm on Facebook, but actually the, the website's better. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you so much for talking to well, me. Well, you're very welcome. It's always, as you can tell, I never tire of talking about this stuff, and I very much appreciate the opportunity, and good luck to everyone who's listening. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. Hi. I'm Isabel, and I'm five, and I live in Nebraska, and I like Seven Loaves of Bread because it has really nice pictures and, and words, and Rose learns a lesson. It is as easy to make one seven as it is to make one. Well, that's another episode of the Read Aloud Revival complete. Hey, if you want to help me get the word out, I would really appreciate that. One of the ways you can do that is by sharing the podcast on social media, telling your friends and family. Another way is to head to readaloudrevival.com. And on the right-hand side of the screen, you'll see a place where you can find a flyer to hang up at your school or public library and throw that up and let people know that we're on air so they can come find us. Um, Also, one of the best ways to get the word out is just to leave a rating or review in iTunes. That makes a huge difference with how widely visible the Read Aloud Revival podcast is on iTunes. I appreciate every single one of your efforts to help me get the word out. Remember, you can find today's show notes at readaloudrevival.com. Just look for episode eight. Whenever you make any purchases at Amazon through the links on the show notes, that supports the podcast. So it doesn't even have to be the things I recommend. It can be anything you're purchasing on Amazon at all. And we appreciate every single one of those purchases. Well, I think that's it for today. So I, I hope you go build your family culture around books. Hey, Posey, want to help me say goodbye to our friends? See you 
next time. Bye-bye, bye-bye.